It was a huge squeal, a bang, and we came out, the car was on fire. A car crash nearly turns into a house fire. How a quick-thinking Good Samaritan helped get a trapped driver out. Plus... I looked up and I went, oh my God, there's another fire. More nervous moments for Okanagan residents as another wildfire sparks near Vernon. And... It's very difficult to put together a season. One thing after another, the wildfire season's dire impact on BC business's bottom line. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. I'm Neetu Garcha. Vancouver police are investigating the city's 10th homicide of the year this weekend. The crime scene is a neighborhood in Carisdale. Heavily armed officers deploying flashbangs at a home near Southwest Marine Drive and West 57th Avenue this morning. Vancouver police say they were following up on reports of three men in the street, one of them carrying a knife. A man was later found in the area suffering from a stab wound. He was rushed to hospital, but he later died of his injuries. Two people were seen being taken into custody, but the VPD says no arrests have been made and there's no word on a possible motive for the crime. The investigation continues. A wild scene in a Port Moody neighborhood last night. At least two speeding vehicles crashed into each other, sending one of them into a home. As Julia Foy reports, residents say this isn't the first time such a dangerous accident has happened in the same spot, and they want city officials to fix the problem. It was a quiet night in Port Moody until just before midnight. I heard a very loud voice and then I saw these two cars uh, like flying super fast in front of you. Seconds later, all hell broke loose after a blue Saturn vehicle crashed into a neighbor's yard. It was a huge squeal, a bang, and we came out, the car was on fire, they couldn't get the guy out. The car pretty badly smashed and the flames coming out from the hood. It looked pretty shocking. Locals raced to put out the fire. Emergency responders arrived before the blaze could spread to the house. We didn't know what to do. We had fire extinguishers and hoses, and it, it, it was awful. The injuries are not life-threatening, um, but he did sustain some relatively serious abrasions and possibly some broken bones. Port Moody police say two vehicles lost control after coming down this steep hill on Glendare Road. Uh, folks that are going really fast, when they come around that corner, they, they misjudge how, how much they have to actually slow down to stay within the lines. The McNeils say this is not the first time an accident has happened in their yard. This video was taken in 2010. We've had cars upside down in our driveway before. We had a Mini Cooper, took out the fire hydrant, flooded our basement, ripped up our whole lawn and garden. So we're getting tired of it and... The city needs to do something. Residents say nearby streets have 30 kilometer an hour signs and they want some kind of traffic calming too. If my husband's truck hadn't stopped him in the driveway, he was airborne and he would have kept going right into our neighbor's daughter's bedroom. Anyone with dash cam footage leading up to the accident is asked to call Port Moody Police. Julia Foy, Global News. 
Now to the firefight against B.C. wildfires. The B.C. Wildfire Service says there are currently 283 active wildfires burning across B.C. 84 of them sparked in just the last two days. One of those latest fires started this afternoon, visible in the Vernon area. The Becker Lake wildfire broke out at about 1.30. The B.C. Wildfire Service says it's out of control and is about one hectare. Four personnel are attacking the fire along with several aircraft. Local fire departments are assisting as well. There are no evacuation orders or alerts. The B.C. Wildfire Service says its members saw a drone near this fire, which is illegal because it's dangerous for those in firefighting aircraft. About a half an hour ago, I was walking into the Walmart and I looked up and I went, oh my God, there's another fire. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, that, and my brother was saying that uh, thankfully it is above the house line, which is awesome because we don't need people evacuated here. I mean, that's just too scary. BC's burning. It's just brutal. The Becker Lake fire comes just after another wildfire broke out late last night in the North Okanagan, causing some residents in Coldstream to temporarily flee their homes. Darian Matassafung has more. Wildfire that quickly roared to life in Coldstream late Friday night led to these shocking videos taken by local residents. The fire started around 10 p.m. According to witnesses, they say within minutes, the fire had completely engulfed the entire hillside. At its largest, the fire was more than 20 hectares. Like coming up Hospital Hill with a couple of my friends going to Kelowna, and we thought there was like almost like a bonfire going on at the D&D grounds, like the Army grounds. And then we realized, no, the whole hillside behind it is on fire. It was, there were huge flames coming off with the whole hillside. Up. At this point, the BC Wildfire Service is calling the fire held with helicopters and ground crews working on small smoldering spots throughout the day. No structures were damaged in the blaze, according to the service. It's officially being held. You're the first to be told it's being held. We've got we've got air we've got a helicopter bucketing right now. We've got crews on the ground. Residents living on Clerk Road were evacuated by police. They say the experience was surreal. I was actually falling asleep on the couch about 10:20, and uh, a lady knocked on the door and uh, showed her that it was an emergency. It was fire. I ran outside, and uh, as soon as I got in the street here, you could see the fire behind me. Was, the whole hillside was lit up. Residents were scrambling to gather essentials before getting out. It seemed like a bit of fear, yeah, a little bit of panic. People were hustling to get out. Yeah, people left as quickly as they could, I think. I'm glad it wasn't three days ago with the high winds. Everything would be gone. All evacuation orders have since been lifted, but an alert still remains in effect. So in talking with the incident commander this morning uh, that was uh, responsible for uh, what would be the north side of the fire um, uh, and BC Wildfire Service, they had indicated that it had uh, uh, subsided enough that the, the, the risk wasn't as prominent as it was last night in terms of how the flames were moving towards uh, those residences. So uh, they, they felt it was comfortable to allow them back in uh, to remain on an, an alert. The cause of the fire is under investigation. Darian Matassafung, Global News.
And in the Thompson-Nicola region, a wildfire has broke out near Sun Peaks. It's estimated to be 15 hectares and is classified as out of control. An evacuation alert has been issued for residents of nearby properties. The investigation may have just started into what sparked the devastating and deadly Lytton Creek complex fire, but the possibility that a train may have started the wildfire also raises important questions about the responsibilities of rail companies when it comes to maintaining the tracks. Kristen Robinson has more. As residents of Lytton got a first-hand glimpse of the path of devastation following a deadly fire, the burnt rail tracks stand out. Many believe the fire that swept through the village, forcing people to flee with minutes to spare, was sparked by a passing train. The Transportation Safety Board now deploying a team to Lytton to probe a fire potentially involving a freight train. It's a catastrophe what's happened. It's just a horrible situation. Engineer Gord Lovegrove says railways are legally required by Transport Canada to take steps to prevent wildfires on or near their lines, including managing fuel sources. Well, I'm talking about grass along the tracks, uh, shrubs, trees, bushes, and regularly inspect them so that brush is kept back. Uh, any, any risks are addressed. In Washington state, the Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railway has two trains with tank cars that can pack 30,000 gallons of water staged in areas prone to wildfires. Equipped with firefighting foam, they can tackle terrain fire trucks can't reach. In June 2019, the rolling weapons helped stop a wildfire that burned 32 hectares. In this situation, you know, the fire train was a huge asset to try to contain this fire in a place that's really hard to get to. Water trucks that can operate on the railway and roads are part of CP's emergency response arsenal in B.C. CN says it continues to cooperate fully with authorities investigating the fire that destroyed Lytton and will not speculate on the cause professional engineers, people that manage the trains um, right across Canada. We, we agree with you and we want uh, nothing like this to ever happen. And we're doing our utmost to, to protect the public and, and the environment. Kristen Robinson, Global News. This summer is supposed to be an economic turning point for many businesses coming out of the pandemic restrictions. But the explosive start to this year's wildfire season could spell an end to many livelihoods in the interior. Paul Johnson has that part of the story. Fueling up and then launching his jet boat on the Fraser River. Tyler Speed's River Monsters Adventures Company bills him as the Sturgeon Whisperer. In normal years, he'd be guiding people from all over the world, trying for a catch and release of the Fraser's legendary sturgeon. Take a guess how this year's playing out. It just seems like um, with everything going on lately, uh, it, it's very difficult to put together a season. Businesses like his rely on the summer months for the bulk of their revenue. Now into the second summer of COVID restrictions, a still-closed Canada-U.S. border Speed knew this would be tough, but then came the heat wave. Then came the fire that wiped out Lytton, just down the river. It seems like it's just one thing after the next, you know. And many do know. Further up country in Hundred Mile House, Keith Jackson is keeping the beer production going at his brew house. Four years ago, 
He had to abandon a batch in mid-fermentation when wildfires triggered an evacuation then. Now, after surviving the pandemic, another smoke plume on the horizon is the last thing he needs. We just start opening up, we're allowed back inside, um, and tourist season's kicking off. A good rule of thumb across BC right now is everywhere there's a major wildfire, there's likely a cluster of tourism and hospitality businesses who've just seen the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel blotted out by smoke. Many of them small, family-run ventures where everything has gone into the business. It'd be nice just to have a regular good old summer. It's certainly been tough. Uh, we're strong out here, though. We keep keep digging and keep grinding away and hoping for the best. You know, that's all we can really do at the end of the day. Paul Johnson, Global News. The SPCA is hoping to reunite a stray dog found this week in Lytton with its owners. The dog was found Thursday evening wandering alone near the burned-out village. Two fisheries officers on patrol found the dog during a lightning storm. She was frightened and ran to their truck. They opened a door and she hopped right in. If you can identify this dog, you're asked to call the SPCA helpline at 1-855-622-7722. And coming up after the break, long-term care restriction relief. I'm so lucky that we finally have freedom. The reaction as BC eases even more rules around visitation and... There's not a reason uh, for either North or South to fear the other. Washington State's governor makes a rare visit to Point Roberts amid concerns around the border closure with Canada. British Columbians with loved ones in long-term care homes are relieved after the province announced the easing of visitation restrictions. Starting on July 19th, masks will no longer be required for those who are fully vaccinated. And as CFJC's Chad Klassen reports, there will be no limit on the number of visitors. Lloyd Lott has been able to see his mom Alice with more frequency this spring and summer, albeit with strict protocols still in place. Masks have still been required during visits indoors a challenge for Alice, who has Alzheimer's. However, starting July 19th, most of the restrictions in long-term care are going away. When we have to go in without or with the masks on, she doesn't really notice, know who the, we are. So, yeah, so when we come outside, because then we can take the masks off, she realizes who the, we are, and it's much, much nicer. As part of the new guidelines, visitors who have been double vaccinated will be able to unmask once they're with their loved ones. Since visitation restrictions loosened April 1st to allow more than one designated visitor, Alice has thrived and Lloyd feels she's only getting better with more access to family. Well, I've noticed since the uh, absence of me and other family members, she's really gotten worse. So now... Uh, with us coming back. We've been here for three weeks now. Three weeks, always coming in on Saturday. And uh, we found that her her awareness has picked up. Her spirits have picked up since. It's going to give a lot more freedom. Jen Shellstad has been mostly isolated at the Hamlets for the last 16 months during this pandemic. She is looking forward to seeing more family and friends. It'll be nice for us to be able to get out with our family as well because it's been a long year and a half and it's, I'm so lucky that we finally have freedom. 
Long-term care facilities like the Hamlets at Westside are thrilled for their residents and families. Many of our residents don't understand what was going on. They don't understand why their loved one couldn't visit them. But when we see them visiting now, you can see them brighten up and you can see it in their eyes. For Lloyd, he's going to take advantage of every minute he can visiting mom Alice because he fears with a variety of COVID-19 variants, restrictions could tighten right back up. Jack Lassen, CFJC News. During Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's stop in B.C. this week, he said he hopes to announce further easing of travel restrictions for those who are fully vaccinated. But Washington Governor Jay Inslee says it's time to at least partially reopen the Canada-U.S. border. He made that comment while visiting Point Roberts. The region's only ground access is through Sawasan. And when the border was closed due to COVID-19, the community was cut off from the mainland. King 5's Chris Daniels has the story. Just how odd is the situation in Point Roberts? Washington's governor had to fly into a grass field and push back the plane before he heard any noise. Simply from the chamber standpoint, yes. the J&J &J solution, which is J and Joe, uh -huh. and they open the U.S. border side. Jay Inslee met with the town's residents in this rural exclave, cut off from the rest of the country. If we can't open the whole border, I think Point Roberts needs that exemption gotta have it. I don't know why we can't get it. It's the purpose of being here. I'm looking the meeting was 16 months in the making. The point has watched its only businesses wither and homes go vacant as the pandemic dragged on. Normally there would be about three pallets of wine sitting here. In fact, the owner of the only grocery store threatened to close until her appearance on King 5 led to an emergency grant from Inslee. We will keep in touch. I appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate it. Which Allie Hayton thanked him for. I mean, we've been, we've been talking for months and now we, I guess we finally started yelling and somebody started paying attention. So it means a lot. But I also yeah. heard you say to the people at Point Roberts, you think the issue is north of the border. I think it is, my perception is that it is more of a federal government problem in Canada than it is in the, at least in the British Columbia situation. Inslee, who has mandated strict COVID guidelines, says he's comfortable with allowing a partial reopening of the international border. And our vaccination rates are close enough now that there's not a huge difference either north or south. And so there's not a reason uh, for either north or south to fear the other. We should be able to do something where folks can come across the border. Washington Congresswoman Susan Delbene, whose district includes Point Roberts, says she's asked residents for badge numbers of Canadian agents who aren't allowing even essential trips and says she's pushing for the U.S. to relax restrictions for visiting Canadians here. What can we do uniquely to allow um, folks to come through if Canadians aren't requiring long-term um, quarantine when folks return. But until then, the plight of the point will drag on, unmoved below the 49th parallel. Coming up, swimming in New York subway stations. Climate change, you're seeing it real. By the way, the hurricane season hasn't even begun yet. The warning as Tropical Storm Elsa floods streets and what climate change has to do with it. Plus, we are so far from the perfect union, yet one step closer. Three Confederate statues are removed in Charlottesville almost four years after a deadly white supremacist rally in the city. 
Both coasts of the United States are facing extreme weather conditions. Tropical storm Elsa has brought heavy rain and flash flooding to the Upper East Coast, but out west, like here in BC, there's relentless heat and drought. Jennifer Johnson has more. Elsa transitioned from a tropical storm to a post-tropical cyclone as it crossed into the Gulf of Maine. The storm brought high winds and dropped massive amounts of rain along the East Coast. Rough surf advisories closed beaches and ferry services. Subways flooded in New York. Heavy rains even caused a mudslide, shutting down a rail line in Connecticut. I'm not an alarmist, uh, but I do know that uh, climate change is not an abstraction. Climate change, you're seeing it real. By the way, the hurricane season hasn't even begun yet. Flash flooding forced multiple water rescues. Drivers say roads were treacherous. I was white-knuckling it, like almost the whole way, like wipers on high. On America's west coast, a completely different story. Drought conditions from no rain, just blistering heat. Feels like I'm walking into an oven when I walk outside. <laughs> Experts say this is becoming the new normal for places like California, and they say climate change is to blame. The heat waves will be longer, they'll be more intense, they'll be more frequent. It doesn't mean that all heat waves will be as extreme as this one, but we will be seeing more heat waves. Californians will be sweating it out for a few more days. The National Weather Service has issued an excessive heat warning for much of the state through Monday night. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. A statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee was taken down in Charlottesville, Virginia today, four years after white supremacist protests over plans to remove it led to clashes which saw a woman run down by a car and killed. A statue of Confederate General Thomas Stonewall Jackson was also removed from its base in another city park as symbols honoring leaders of the pro-slavery Confederate side in the American Civil War have increasingly become the focus of protests against racism. Hours later, a third monument, the Meriwether Lewis, William Clark and Sacagawea statue was removed. Charlottesville will keep the statues in storage until officials make a final decision about what to do with them. A pet that survived the condo collapse in Surfside, Florida, has been reunited with its family. Binks lived on the ninth floor of the collapsed building and somehow survived the tragedy. A volunteer who feeds stray cats in the area recognized Binks and took him to a shelter. Yesterday, Binks was reunited with his family. The mayor calls it a bright spot in the midst of a terrible tragedy. At least 86 people are confirmed dead and 43 remain unaccounted for. Three Canadians are among the missing with the body of one Canadian woman identified. This year marks the 100th year anniversary of the poppy and the Royal Canadian Legion commemorating it with a special ceremony. According to the Legion, the poppy was a way to raise money for veterans' needs and to remember those who had given their lives during the First World War. In July of 1921, the Great War Veterans Association, which would later form the Canadian Legion, adopted the poppy as a flower of remembrance. Since the Legion and its members have upheld this tradition of remembrance. 100 years later, in July of 2021, we are here at, at the Legion and legions across Canada remembering those 100 years and this amazing symbol which does not in any way stand to glorify war. 
It's actually the total opposite. It is about remembering those fallen that gave the ultimate sacrifice so that we could live in a world of peace and freedom. And if we never have another war, we have accomplished the mission of remembrance. In health matters, as COVID-19 restrictions across the country continue to lift, hospitals are starting to tackle the surgical backlog worsened by the pandemic. And with more operations comes the sudden increased need for more blood. But donations have declined because of the virus. Global's Jamie Marocker explains. After months of surgical delays due to COVID-19, Dr. Sav Brar says he's thankful procedures in the OR are picking back up. It's not been a normal time this past year and a half. But as hospitals begin to tackle the massive backlog of surgeries, it's highlighting the need for a critical resource. The demand for blood products has increased above pre-COVID-19 levels. Canadian Blood Services says it needs over 23,000 blood donors by July 31st to fill the gap. Instead, over the last two weeks, donations have dropped, resulting in a loss of 10% of the supply needed this month. Very often it's life or death. For Shami Raspoli, who suffered a postpartum complication after giving birth to her baby boy, it was. They had said that I had lost more than half my blood. Um, and had I lost another handful of units, it could have been fatal. Not receiving her transfusion, she says, is unimaginable. I would have never seen my family again. Back in Toronto, Dr. Brar says a blood shortage is not something he's seeing currently, but the potential is worrisome. The lack of Blood being available for transfusions is something that you hear about in war or in other extreme situations. You know, I hope that we don't come to the situation where we encounter that here. A catastrophe, he says, if it were to come to pass. Jamie Marocker, Global News, Toronto. And coming up next, public art denied. Why the city of Vancouver has rejected the proposed location for this controversial sculpture. Next. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. What's next after the city of Vancouver rejected the proposed home for the boy holding a shark sculpture? That's just ahead. But first, let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell for a look at the forecast. And Yvonne, of course, in the midst of an increasingly intense wildfire season, a lot of people keeping an eye on that heat. Absolutely, and it continues to be very hot and dry. We've actually got a severe thunderstorm watch that is in effect for the northeastern corners, and we're keeping a close eye on the dry lightning and the potential with these thunderstorms uh, to also see very heavy rain and gusty winds. First off along the south coast, though, it's gorgeous out there. We've had heat today to kick things off for the beginning of the weekend. Highs up to 24, but when you factor in the humidex, areas away from the water feeling into the low 30s, and we remain above the average. It typically sits closer to 22. A few other spots today... Uh, uh, right now sitting at 36 degrees for Castlegar, Revelstoke in the low 30s and similar for Kamloops and areas near Whistler are sitting at 26 degrees. Now the following areas, the northeastern corners, that's where we have a severe thunderstorm watch and then all areas in grey, that extends towards the central half and the Okanagan Valley where we'll continue to see local smoke across the region and impacting over the next two to three days. Now the northeastern corners for Fort Nelson as well as the Peace and even stretching into McGregor, this 
places where we have the potential for those thunderstorms to become severe and we are tracking a line right now just areas near Fort St. John they'll dissipate as we get in late this evening or in the short little while in the next couple of hours but the concern is the BC wildfire service the current numbers we're sitting at around 283 we've had 84 new fires in the past two days and 64 percent of them have been caused by lightning we're keeping a close eye as well because the fire danger rating remains at high to extreme for many areas even along the eastern edge of the island now turning into red and we're watching it for the central half of the province so please be very diligent if you are outdoors and report a fire immediately to star 5555 now we've got a bit of a break in the action for tomorrow it should remain dry for all areas but we'll continue to see that heat especially for the southern interior and in towards the Colombian Kootenai but of a bit of a break in terms of the precipitation and the instability now the northern half of the province will see 17 as the high it's inland with the warmer temperatures much of the central interior a slight risk for the southeastern corners near Revelstoke, Goldling and Cranbrook that we could see that risk of a thunderstorm temperatures heating up once again Whistler will get closer to 30 degrees and along the south coast the early morning hours along the northern and western edge of the island may see some cloud cover Italy is off hot and sunny over the next few no precipitation over the next five days. And keep in mind, especially away from the water, even warmer into the low 30s. Nithu? All right, thanks so much, Yvonne. Well, the city of Vancouver says a controversial piece of public art will no longer be installed along the False Creek South Seawall. The Vancouver Biennale's request to display the boy holding a shark statue on a raised platform near Stamps Landing has been denied. The city supports temporary art exhibitions on public land in many neighbourhoods, but there were concerns around congestion and overcrowding in this particular location. Some neighbours had launched an aggressive campaign against the statue, claiming it was offensive and too tall for the area. The city will now support the Biennale to find a new seawall location for the 7.8-metre-tall sculpture, which is the artist's reflection on the growing tension between humans and the ocean. From an engineering perspective, just civil engineering, looking at, at traffic conflicts, it just seemed like the site was, was way too tight for the amount of people using it. I thought it was a really interesting piece of art. Um, uh, it's about, you know, um, the problem with climate change and the oceans and that kind of thing. And yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. I think maybe if they worked with the communities a bit better and actually got something that they felt reflected what the area was might actually go a little bit better. We live in a beautiful city. Let's just make sure the artwork is something we all appreciate and it's in, a, uh, in an area where everybody can enjoy it or, or not. We want to support a lot of art in the public realm and so we want to find a way of creating a process that's really clear, uh, pretty straightforward to navigate for partners and that we can be really transparent about. A lot of perspectives there. I think Just we needs can all, to yeah. find a new home. Sorry, Harry. Yeah. You can all agree no one will ever agree about art. So There you go. There you go. That is fact. <laughs> uh, what's also fact is that things are starting to open up, and that is definitely true in professional sports as well. Yeah, it's been such a long wait for uh, CFL players and uh, coaches, but finally the wait is over for the Lions. They will begin training camp tomorrow in Kamloops. The last time they played as a team, November of 2019. That's a long haul. So we'll hear from uh, Rick Campbell about camp opening up tomorrow. And the Olympic Games, yeah, what about those? They start in uh, less than two weeks. First day of competition is two weeks from today. The swimming starts and we'll have a feature on Kelowna's Taylor Ruck, who has a good chance to get to the medal podium multiple times in Tokyo. Wow, feels like that crept up on us pretty mm -hmm. quickly. Looking forward to that. Thanks, Barry. Also coming up, a dog calling the shots in a life or death situation. 
and I'm so glad she did, because otherwise that little fool would not be alive today. How the pup jumped into action and knew exactly what to do. Next. Back in the Okanagan, a late-night scare in Tappan turned a dog into a hero. A life-saving pup named Toffee leapt into action to save a colt. Sydney Morton has the story. When this tiny colt was born on a farm in Tappan, Toffee instinctively knew something was wrong. At 1.50 in the morning, all of a sudden, this little girl shoved her nose into my shoulder so hard and went, woof! Just like she meant business. And I leapt out of bed and she looked at me like this. And then she took off down the stairways and out into the yard. I grabbed my big red deck flashlight that can illuminate two miles away and shone it out by the fire pit. And there I saw the mare had had her full and it was making this horrible, horrible noise. It was a snoring noise and it sounded like this, just horrible. So when I went out, like I'm running and I could see that the amniotic sac had not broken. So this poor little thing was like in a bag with six mil poly and you could see the sac sucking into the nostrils and he was smothering to death. So of course I go running out as fast as I can and I'm ripping the sac off his face, clearing out his nostrils and never would have woken up if it weren't for Toffee waking me up. And the amazing thing is to me that she didn't just give the little bark, something weird is happening outside. She very purposefully shoved my shoulder so hard to make sure I got up, like not now, right now. <laughs> so she was calling the shots that night and I'm so glad she did because otherwise that little fool would not be alive today. So Toffee is in my opinion, a hero. Sydney Morton, Global News. Great job, Toffee. Coming up, a BC Olympian's iconic track shoes up for our auction. How much they're expected to fetch. Plus. Woo! Cypress Coaster sneak peek. A first-hand look at a new outdoor attraction opening soon on the North Shore. A kidney cans hero. Show your support for the Kidney Foundation BC and Yukon by donating your recyclable beverage containers at all Return and Express locations using the account name Kidney Cans. Visit their website for details. Help the BC Center for Ability by donating to the Recovery and Rebound Fund. Funds raised ensure those living with diverse abilities continue to receive much needed support during this time. BC-CFA.org to donate. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. If you wanna know, it's on the hub. If you wanna show, it's on the hub. If you wanna go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, just before we get to Barry and sports, a pair of shoes that were handmade by the co-founder of Nike for North Vancouver Olympian and sprinter Harry Jerome are going up for auction. Sotheby says the shoes were produced in the 1960s and constructed from leather, glue, tape, rubber, and metal. They're estimated to fetch between $800,000 and $1.2 million U.S. later this month. It's unclear to what degree Jerome wore the prototype, but his sister believes he wore a finished version of the shoes during the Pan American Games in 1967. 
I mean, our producer Annie brought up a good point. It's hard to imagine those had the right support that running shoes uh, these days tend to have. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, today's athletes are fantastic, but the advantages they have in uh, training and technology a little better than those in the past. All right, thanks, Neethu. Well, it has been... 20 months since the Lions last took the field in the CFL, but that long, agonizing wait is finally over as of tomorrow when the Lions begin training camp in Kamloops. Their season opener is still 27 days away, so they will get a lot of practice time. There will not be any exhibition games, so that means rookies and newcomers to the league need to show their stuff in the practices and scrimmages. I think the young guys, the new guys are going to have to stand out uh, because we have to get our football team also ready to play a game in less than a month. So that's the balancing act is one is we don't want to miss out on a really good new player. And at the same time, there has to be an emphasis on getting our football team chosen and, and ready to go to play, you know, a real game in Saskatchewan. So that, that is going to be a challenge and a balancing act, but I think, I think we can do it. Ladies final at Wimbledon, Karolina Pliskova of the Czech Republic taking on world number one and top seed Ash Barty of Australia. All Barty in the first set. She will hit the fantastic lob here. Pliskova thought it was perfect because she didn't really even try to get it, hoping it would go long, but it was good, and Barty took the opening set 6-3. Pliskova did find her game in the second set. This is uh, the point of the match. Full house at center court, ooing and aahing as finally... Pliskova will have the overhead smash to win the point, and she took the set in a tie break, but Barty got an early break in the third. It was never really in danger serving for the match. Check out this tough overhead back end. Maybe the toughest shot in tennis, and she executed that perfectly. And then on match point, Pliskova eventually will hit into the net, and Ash Barty wins her first ever Wimbledon title, just her second major, which is a bit surprising considering she's been number one for a while. Tom Cruise watching. It wasn't Mission Impossible after all. Barty, the Wimbledon champ. Men's final tomorrow, Novak Djokovic going for his 20th Grand Slam against Italian Matteo Berrettini. Baseball today, Jays and Rays, Marcus Semien, all-star game bound Tuesday night in Denver. Having a career year, and he adds to it, slams his 22nd homer, a two-run shot. Now his 56 RBI, and the Jays have a 2-1 lead. But their starter, Ross Stripling, did not hold that lead for long. Bottom of the inning, the former Seattle Mariner, Mike Zanino, wallops his 19th home run of the year. Zanino either homers or strikes out. This time he made contact, and it's tied. Later in the inning, Brandon Lau will connect on a two-run homer to right, and Tampa takes their second straight from the Jays 5-2 the final. Toronto now 44-42 and with one more game to go before the All-Star break. PGA stop is the John Deere Classic in Illinois. Rainy conditions today. That meant heavy air. The ball doesn't travel as well, but don't tell big hitting Cameron Champ. T-ball on the 356-yard par 4 launches one just short of the green. That one measured at about 335 in the thick air. He would make birdie. Champ is tied third at 14 under. Sebastian Munoz of Columbia. T-shot on the par 316th. And this one is right at the pin. 
Great shot by Munoz. He would make the birdie. He's got the lead at 16 under. Abbotsford's Nick Taylor tied 22nd at minus 10. Merritt's Roger Sloan tied 54th at minus 5. U.S. Seniors Men's Open from Omaha, where they had themselves an old-fashioned Midwest storm overnight. Plenty of destruction, but they did get on course. Jim Furyk, who won the U.S. Open back in the early 2000s, long birdie putt at the 13th, gets to 6 under and a four-shot lead. Canadian Mike Weir in contention at the 16th after a great bunker shot made the short putt for birdie. Two under 68 for Weir right there, tied at fifth at one under. The other Canadian in the field, Calgary's Stephen Ames. This is at the 16th, and that's a birdie to get to minus three and tied for third. 18th hole, Furick out of the first cut of rough, but this is an excellent approach to four feet. He would make that birdie. Shot a four under 66. He is at eight under par. Ames is playing in the final group with Furick, and he keeps pace. This a slippery downhiller for birdie, and he goes in. He's at minus four. Solo second, but four shots behind Furick. They'll play in the final group tomorrow at the U.S. Senior Men's Open. And in the Canadian Elite Basketball League, Fraser Valley was down 18 in the first. Ashley led in the fourth quarter at one point, but fall 90-84 to Ottawa. Bandit's record falls to four and two. The notorious Conor McGregor is back in the octagon tonight in Vegas. He is facing Justin Poirier again. It's their third meeting. Both have won once. Poirier beat McGregor this past January fairly handily, but McGregor said he was just too rusty after fighting just three times in the past five years. We'll see if Conor has removed that rust tonight. We'll have highlights at 11. Swimmer Taylor Ruck was born in Kelowna but moved to Phoenix at a very young age and spent 17 years there turning into a world-class swimmer. But she is proudly Canadian and can't wait to compete in Tokyo where she could very well lead Canada to a record medal haul in the pool. It's Taylor Ruck from Canada. Canada in the lead. Taylor Ruck with the K in second place. It's Taylor Ruck from Canada. Nothing puts a smile on Taylor Ruck's face more than winning a swimming race, and she's done a lot of that in recent years, including a record eight medal haul at the 2018 Commonwealth Games in Australia. She also won three bronze medals at the 2019 World Championships in the relays, but it's been exactly two years since her last major competition because of COVID. So when Team Canada got together in Vancouver earlier this month for their final training camp for Tokyo, Taylor was in her happy place. I remember the first like three days, I was like all smiles, like <laughs> just being able to see all these other people like from past teams that I've been on and seeing how they've handled the pandemic and just like hanging out, playing cards. It's something I haven't done in so long and I'm so grateful. Ruck has gone up and has taken the lead, the Canadian, over McKeon. Ruck made quite the splash at the 2016 Olympics in Rio, where as a 16-year-old, she won a couple of bronze medals in the freestyle relays. Now at 21 and with so much success in other major meets, there's an expectation that Taylor hit the podium in Tokyo in individual freestyle and backstroke events, as well as being a big part of the Canadian relay teams. Historically have not been one to receive expectations that well. <laughs> I kind of just try and combat that by not paying attention to anything. Um, 
external. So just kind of knowing what the work that I've put in and show what show what I've done, you know. I'm really excited for her. I think this games can be something really special for her career. And I think it's crazy to look at how she was in 2016 and how I was in 2016 and where we're at now. And so I'm really excited for her. Ruck is a key part of a Canadian team that could potentially have their best Olympics ever. Ruck thinks Canada could get on a roll and take down some of the top swimming nations in the world in Tokyo. Show everybody this is Team Canada like on the first day, you know, or like have those great performances. Mentally, I'm ready. I'm ready to go and represent Canada and just have a blast over in Tokyo. And their first swim event is two weeks from today, so... Hopefully that uh, Canada can do some damage there. And uh, Taylor's such a nice young lady and uh, representing Canada proudly. And I love her focus on having fun. Well, you know what? There's so much pressure on the athletes and they're in the pool so much. So that's very important to them. And yeah, absolutely going to do it for us. Well, our Jordan Armstrong had a lot of fun today as well. His sneak peek of a massive gravity fed coaster thrill ride opening at Cypress Mountain is coming up next. Stay with us. This week is a big one for new outdoor attractions on the South Coast. The Malahat Skywalk on Vancouver Island is set to open on Thursday. And starting this weekend, a pipe dream comes true with the launch of the Eagle Pipe Coaster on Cypress Mountain. Here's a sped up version of what you can expect. A new Eagle Coaster opening today. It's a brand new thing for Vancouver. It's Vancouver's newest kind of attraction. And you're sitting in a cart that goes on a pipe from the top of the mountain down to the bottom of the mountain at about 42 kilometers an hour is the maximum speed. You control your own speed because you you're kind of have a handle on the brake as you go down. It's a real thrilling, uh, thrilling activity to do. Woo! Oh my gosh. This is exciting. Whoa! <laughs> Here's the first turn. Oh! You really do have to watch what's in your pockets. They could go flying. Okay, here we go. Whoa! Holy crap! Oh, jeez. Okay, no braking so far. I'm gonna try and keep that up. Moving along here pretty good. Nice to feel the breeze. Here comes a big corner. <laughs> Woo! Pretty good so far. I'm still alive. We're almost at the end and I haven't braked once. Oh, here we go. Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> Woo! Okay, I survived the Eagle Coaster. That was pretty good. It wasn't too scary. It was a lot of fun. It was cool. Thumbs up. A little too much fun. And Jordan <laughs> will be here for Global News at 11. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Have a great night.